Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people. And this week, I'm doing something different that I may keep doing from time to time if we like it. So it's a special episode where I'm bringing on four people that have something in common. In this case, they're all fellows who have written books. And we're going to play a few rounds of You Don't Know My Life. That's the boxed party game that I created with my friend Jeb Havens. It's available on Amazon if you like playing games around a table, but we also started doing virtual game nights during the pandemic, and it ended up being a super fun thing. It's now a side hustle I've got going, and uh, so we're going to try an episode over Zoom playing You Don't Know My Life. The four authors in question, uh, some of them have done the podcast before. One's new. Um, David Pevsner is doing the podcast again. He has a book out called Damn Shame. We also have Gary Goldstein, a former podcast guest. His book is called The Last Birthday Party. And Stephen Rains was on the podcast not that long ago with his book, A Quilt for David. And doing the podcast for the first time is a gentleman I met at a film festival. He's also a filmmaker. His name's John W. Bateman, and he has a book called Who Killed Buster Sparkle, a murder mystery. So we brought the guys together. We threw out some questions that I thought might be fun to play with them, and we played a few rounds of the game. So before we get to that, though, I want to remind you that there are now two ways you can listen to Dennis Anyone, as you always have. You don't have to change anything, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. Um, for twelve ninety five a month, you'll get access to my show 48 hours earlier than everyone else, and you'll also be able to listen to a bunch of other great shows, like the Derek and Romaine Show, um, Perfect Date with my friend Tom Goss, The Focus Group, The Adam Sank Show. There's a whole bunch of great shows on there. So go to dnrstudios.com to learn about that and say that Dennis Anyone is the show you listen to most, and I'll get a little money. So there's that. Woohoo! Also, we have a voicemail now. So if you want to leave a comment on the show or, you know, have a question or anything like that, the number you can leave a voicemail for me is one 647 9653 All right, that's enough business. Here now is our special author edition of You Don't Know My Life. Hey there, and welcome to our first ever Zoom, You Don't Know My Life, Dennis Anyone podcast. I brought four people together who have something special in common. They've all written books. We're going to play a couple rounds of You Don't Know My Life. We're going to learn about them. We're going to learn about their books. We're hopefully going to have fun. And technically, everything's going to go great, right, with the technology? Um, Before we bring up the game board and start asking questions, though, I want to mention everyone that's going to be playing and find out a little more about them. Gary Goldstein, you have a book. I do. My book is called The Last Birthday Party. I love it. It It exists. It's true. Um, And it's a romantic comedy set in L.A. about a a writer who's a screenwriter. He's also a film reviewer for the L.A. Times. and He lives in Laurel Canyon. All those three things are me, but everything else in the book is not. Um, And it's about a a guy who turns 50, and uh, the day after he turns 50, his entire life falls apart based upon three catastrophes that befall him. And it's all about how he builds his life back together in these very unexpected ways. So uh, it was a joy to write. I hope people enjoy it. Uh, It's been really fun to be out there talking about it. And thanks for having me on. I love it. Um, Well, I had you on before because you were, and still do, write a lot of um, holiday movies for TV, for like Hallmark and things like that. How was was working on the book uh, different from that? What did it give you creatively? 
Well, you know, it, it, when you write, when you're writing, uh, whether you're writing a holiday movie, a TV movie, a, a, you know, a feature film, you know, when you're writing for with 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 anybody for anybody, you know, it's it's more of a group effort. Um, writing a book, I just sat there and wrote on my own. It's like writing a script on spec, you know, or a play on spec or something. Um, and I just wrote on my own and wasn't quite sure what I had as I was doing it. And then in the end, I was like, wow, I think I have a book. Um, and then spent time editing it and then going out to try to find publishers. And then it went through its edits with the publisher. So, you know, once it got in there, uh, you know, I, I got plenty of notes. But it was different because it was really like, well, these are our notes. You can take them. You cannot take them. They wanted all the grammatical stuff to be right and whatever. But some of the thematic things and scenes and the irony was that that um, I agreed with 99% of their notes, things that we, we lost a lot of words. We, it was whatever, all the grammatical things. But there was one little scene. It was like a page. And they said, you know, you really don't need it. It you know, kind of stops the action. And I was like, you know what? That's one thing I'm going to fight for. I love this scene. It's my favorite moment in the book. I, I won't lose it. And they said, fine, don't lose it. And then I'm reading through the book and reading through the book in like the ninth edit. And I was like, you know what? I don't need that scene. I'm going to get rid of it. <laughs> so no, you no, threw no. down and then you were like, you know what? They were I right. Did, I did. I just, I just caved, but you I can always use it somewhere else. There you go. It'll come up in something else. All right. David Pevsner, yes. you, you have a book. Tell us about your book. I do. My book is called Damn Shame, A Memoir of Desire, Defiance, and Show Tunes. There it is. Um, I like the way you said that. Um, yeah, now, yeah. I talked to you a while ago about a show that you did, and I think this book has a lot of those same kind of themes. Like, how would you describe it? Well, it's, it's my story, but told through the lens of body shame, sexuality, and ageism. Um, pretty much the triple everything. crown, the trifecta, <laughs> which, which I find is very relatable for right. beyond like 60 year old guys, you know? Um, and I just found that the more the, the, I tied my stories to those issues, the more kind of resonance the book took on. And, and it's, you know, it's funny and there's a lot of funny stories and there's a lot of kind of explicit stories in there because I've had pretty much a checkered life when it comes to exploring my sexuality and, and everything from being a naked maid to an escort to writing dirty songs for naked boys singing. But, um, it's all kind of led me on this journey to become my, my, actual self to feel, you know, um, to, to, these are things I always wanted to explore. And I feel like I've really come a long way and I'm, I'm much kinder to myself. I'm more open about, you know, men, people in general, it's been a great process and writing. This has been absolutely cathartic and, um, and a lot of fun. And I think people are having a good time reading it. So, and, and feeling better about themselves because of it. Well, you know? Watching your show and and reading the parts of your book that I've read, I haven't read all of it. I find it like inspiring. Like, like there's so much baggage we have around sexuality. Even whether you're straight or gay, sex is bad, sex is wrong. Or I'm working on a project right now about Marilyn Monroe, and Mm -hmm. even as I'm writing it, I'm like, yeah, but she, she was really sexy, but she was also this. Like, no, it's just fine that she's sexy. That's okay. You don't need to. Give her something else. I mean, she has all these other things, but we don't need to give them to her. So, and yet, and yet, when people like, for instance, you know, take a porn star, if because they're sexual, that's all they are to people. Right? They don't have a brain. They're drug addicts. Or when and when it comes to dealing with sex, it's a very polarizing thing. And I find that the more I've explored it and openly explored it, both as a model and an actor, and you know, mainstream stuff, not so mainstream stuff, to me. It's just, it's, it's such a natural part of me and I don't feel that I should be, you know, put down or, or, you know, made fun of or chastised because I choose to explore it because 
I feel like everything that I've learned and that I've put into this book is stuff that people are really going to kind of hopefully be maybe inspired by and hopefully will feel better about themselves and be kinder to themselves and kinder to, to everyone out there as well, instead of being so fucking judgmental about it. You know? Exactly. As Marilyn Monroe herself would say, we were all born sexual creatures. Thank God. That was a quote yep. of hers. So, absolutely, um, absolutely. I love it. Stephen Rains, you are most recently on my podcast to talk about your book. Uh, tell us about A Quilt for David. Uh, well, uh, I loved being on your podcast. Thank you. And I'm surprised how many people keep reaching out and telling me that they heard me on your podcast or they bought my book because of your podcast. So I appreciate it. That makes my me feel great. A uh, Quilt for David, it was published just a few months ago from City Lights. It's about the story of David Acker, who is a gay man and dentist who died in 1991, living in Stewart, Florida, shortly before his death. Kimberly Bergalis, who was a college student, claimed that she was a virgin and that she had contracted uh, HIV from her dentist. And, and he was David the died, dentist. Yes. So he's the dentist that um, we all heard about on uh, Current Affair. Inside Edition, Kimberly was actually on the cover of People magazine. It was a really big story in 91, 92. And uh, 10 years ago, I started thinking about the situation. of How did he infect his patients? How did that happen? Right. And the more I researched, the more I realized how much that situation was just riddled with uh, homophobia and AIDS phobia and how much misinformation there was. And so I spent 10 years researching and writing this book trying to uncover what really happened and the people that were accusing this gay man. So this book is kind of my way of um, vindicating. But you, you write in poetry, which I thought was interesting because it was sort of like a documentary, like a hard-hitting true crime thing written in these beautiful poems. So I thought that was a really unique um, marriage of two different styles that I hadn't seen together before. Yeah, thank you. My previous collections are poetry. This is It's called documentary poetry, actually. And That's a it, thing. I didn't know that it was even a thing. I thought you invented it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, and I can't take credit for it, unfortunately. There, there's a long lineage of great uh, documentary poets before me. But in the book, I uh, present only the information I found out through my research. I thought the story is riddled with so much misinformation that when people read a detail in the book, every detail, even the color of David's curtains, that I wanted them to know that it's, you know, that what I researched and what I discovered is in the book. I didn't want to add to it with poetic license or my own musings. Um, so you, you just the facts, just the facts. Yeah. I love it. All right. And John W. Bateman. Hi, you haven't done the podcast before, but I know you, but, but we have to make that happen. But I know you because we met at a film festival a number of years ago and I've been following your work ever since. Tell us about your book. So, uh, my first book came out in 2019. It's Who Killed Buster Sparkle? It's uh, about a ghost and a drag queen in Mississippi. Uh, um, so, it's a memoir. Um, no. <laughs> you are the ghost and the drag queen and you and Mississippi, all of it. Yeah. All in one. Um, yeah, no, I wrote it when I was living in New York and I ended up moving back to Mississippi, which was completely unexpected. And I lived in a house that may or may not have had something else living in it. So, it's oh, like, wow. So, um, but no, it came out in 2019. It was published by a small press out of Portland, Oregon, unsolicited press. And, um, yeah, it's, um, it's been quite a, quite a journey. And so I also, I write short films and, and some other stuff. So 
I love it. So when you were there in that house, would, would you research other things that had gone on in that community? Like what, where else were you getting inspiration from? Oh, so I actually wrote, I finished the first, or the final, not the first draft, but I finished the book before I moved back to Mississippi. Oh, wow. So you had already written it and then you went back and you were kind of back in that world. Yeah. And then, you know, I started hearing strange noises in the house. And so that was, that was a little freaky. So, so life imitated art. I know. I named the ghost Lavender because I didn't know what it was. So, And Lavender's so pretty. That sounds like a nice ghost. I wouldn't mind a nice what is it? ghost. You know, it's a color. It's a smell. It's a herb. It's, you know, it's a flower. It's, it's all of it. Um, <laughs> seeing you guys hold up your books, I'm reminded of the moment when you first hold it and you first get it. What do any of you want to weigh in on that? What's that like when you – I remember opening the box to my first book – and I have pictures of it that my roommate took. And just there's a box of books and it's yours. I couldn't believe it. It was like the most amazing Christmas present or something. It was emotional. I, I have to say, I didn't expect it. You know, because my editor said, you know, make sure to take the video. Take a video of you opening the box. And right. That's what the kids are doing. That's a, yeah. So you started crying on the video. I did. I did. I got emotional because, you know, it's a lot of work that we all put into this. And then you have the process, which is a very humbling process of editing. Yes. Um, especially when you work with somebody that you really trust, which I did. Um, and then you just feel like I've done the best I can. This is like the most amazing project. And then when you see that it's actually in front of you, like, like Gary said, it exists. Right. You know, when he said that, I was like, that's what I felt. <laughs> yeah. It's real. Uh, Gary, <laughs> so, what do you remember? About it's opening a cheat, though, because you know you do get an advanced copy of the book, you know, just to check every. I mean, listen, right. I'm assuming you get an advanced copy to check the, the, you know, check the colors, check the copy, and everything. So you felt you've held it, you felt it, even if it says not for sale along with it. So yeah, but there is something about opening that box and seeing the stacks of the books, and they're just crisp and fresh and. It's it's incredibly exciting. I, I've always been really excited for other other people who've written books that they have that physical book. I mean, you know, I've written many movies, many plays, you know, certainly tons of newspaper articles, and there's just something physical about that book. I, it's it's hard to describe. It's like I don't want to say it's like giving birth, you know, whatever. But I mean, it's really just like uh, you know, having this tangible representation that you can hold in your hand. It's pretty wild. And no one can take it away from you. It exists. Look at right. holding no, it. I yeah. <laughs> Although I, I fear the day I walk into a bookstore and it's in the 10 cent bin. Okay. Yeah. That no, scares me. Here's the thing. My books came out a long time ago. And if you can still find them, folks, if you're listening, Misadventures in the 213 and Screening Party. And I would go on Amazon and buy used copies so I could give them to people. Because, you know, you always want to have someone to give to someone, especially if you're hustling for work or whatever. And so I bought... I would buy them for a penny, a penny. That's good for your ego, but they get you on the shipping. The shipping was like three ninety nine, and then I would buy them, and they would send them to me, and they were books that I had autographed to other people. Uh. <laughs> I once gave a book to Neil Patrick Harris and David Burka, his husband, uh, because David had actually said he liked it and read it before. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to get you another one because you lost it or whatever. So I made it happen. I got him one and I ended up buying it back on Amazon for a penny. So, um, yeah, wow. there's that. Um, Stephen, what do you remember about holding books in your hand? Because you've had a, a number of poetry books as well. Yeah, um, this book was very different for me. And I did the same thing David did, uh, the unboxing video, which was my advanced reader's copy that Gary just talked about. Like, I thought, oh, it's in the mail. Like, I'm, I'm you know, I'll take it. 
a video with my phone. And I, I had a moment of pause because I, I, of course, did not want to cry on video. This, my previous work has been all autobiographical, so this was very different. That right. This was my spending 10 years kind of defending a man who I didn't know, but yet I had this relationship with. I, I know so much about this man's life. And to have his face on the cover of my book, it was also a photo that I worked hard to research during the time there was only one public photo of David Acker and that I was able to locate another photo and then get rights to it, which is this whole other ordeal. And it was, it was really moving and it's also satisfying. Also books have a long life um, outside of their publishing date and as well as um you know, like outside of our lives, like I'm going to be gone one day and this book will still be here. You know, like David, the subject matter of my book died, you know, 30 years ago. And yet here he is like on a bookshelf. And there's something so satisfying about that. I love it. John, what do you remember about seeing your books for the first time? I mean, the thing that I remember first is when I finally had a first draft printed in my hand. I slept with it like a teddy bear. <laughs> That's so cute. I- Cuddled that thing because it was like, it was, yeah, that's what I remember first. I mean, I remember you know, the editing process and all that stuff, paper copy. But the thing I remember most is like like that very first draft printed out on all that paper. Yeah. I remember for my first novel, Misadventures in the 213, my publisher wanted me to submit it as a hard copy, a manuscript. And I remember going to FedEx and the size of the box that it took to send, I was like, oh, we're going to need a bigger box. Like that, that it's just, it was just like a, you know, like in the Flintstones when they plop the meat on the, on Wilma plops the meat on the car or whatever. Yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I mean? Um, so here's my favorite story about you books. Had such a great, you, you had such a great cover. Your cover. Do you, do you know who the subject was? No, it, it's a vintage photo from like the sixties that the, um, that the, the artist that was designing it just liked. And uh, if, if you haven't seen my book cover, it's a woman's face and her eyes are done with like daisy petals, like yellow petals of flowers. And it's kind of, and then they're yellow and she's in black and white and it's very striking. And when my, when the publisher first showed it to me, I didn't quite know what to make of it. Cause it, does it evoke my story of these friends living in LA? I don't know. And then I just kind of put it on the coffee table and I'd walk around and I'd look at it and I started to fall in love with it. And it was the smartest cover because in bookstores, they would face that baby out. And if you look, there would be like maybe a review page with four books um, featured. Mine would be the picture because it was so striking. So it, it was a it was a winner of a cover, but it was something that I was like, I was surprised by at first. Um, my favorite story of books and their lives is, do you guys know who Kara Swisher is? The New York Times, she does a podcast called Sway and she's written a number of books. She's a tech reporter, lesbian. I'm kind of obsessed with her lately, but... She had written uh, a, a few books, I think, and she was in Ikea shopping for a sofa, and she she's sitting down, and you know how you can buy books by the yard to just decorate your restaurant or whatever? She's sitting there, and they're they're decorating in Ikea with her book, and she picks it up and opens it, and it, like me with Neil Patrick Harris, it was one that she had autographed to a friend. So she stole the book from Ikea and sent it back to her friend. <laughs> so I think if that happens to any of us, we can do it. I'm like, that is the best. That is the best. All right, we're going to play You Don't Know My Life. You don't know my life. We're going to ask a few questions and see uh, who we can figure out who is who. I get to play as well because the way the 
The program is designed. I don't see what you guys write. So here's the first question. What book changed your life? It's going to pop up on your phone in a second, and then you will submit an answer as though you were submitting a text, and I will as well. And I will cut this part out because it's bound to be just people being silent and typing. You don't know my life. Now we are back. We have all submitted answers. We're going to present the answers, and then we'll take turns guessing who said what. Here's our first answer. Angry women interviews with 16 female performance artists. Interesting. Okay, so that's square on the bottom of the screen there. We as a collective come up with what we call the hashtag. It's just a way of labeling it so we can refer to it and stuff like that. There's no points involved and no pressure. Even though we're all writers, we should be able to do this. But it can be just like, you know, 16 mad artists. Not my best work, but you get the idea. All right, next answer. The best little boy in the world. How much time do I have to talk? And then there's a rainbow and a unicorn and a smiley face. I think my eyes are bad, so sometimes I can't tell what the emojis are. Um, So there's that. The best little boy in the world. So let's see. What can our hashtag be? This is the best. How about that? All right, next up. The Accidental Tourist by Ann Tyler. I love the writing so much it inspired me to leave the job I had and become a writer, though it didn't happen overnight. How about Happy Accident? Next up, Barrel Fever by David Sedaris. Uh, Barrel of Laughs? Do we like that? That's cute. That's cute. Right? They're all right. Some, you know, hit and miss. My co-creator, Jeb Havens, uh, is the king of the hashtags. I read Eat, Pray, Love when I was at a very low lost point in my life, and I fell apart. I felt like that book was written just for me in that moment. Then I ate a bunch of pasta and gelato. Uh, Let's see. Eat the love. Eat the love. All right. So we have five answers, and we have five hashtags. Gary, we're going to let you go first. And how you're going to guess is you pick any hashtag, and then you say who you think it is. So you might say, I think 16 Mad Artists is David, or I think this is the best is Steven. Okay. Um, I say David is, uh, this is the best. David, if Gary is correct, if that is you, you say, yes, you know my life, and Gary gets a point. But if that's wrong, you have to say the name of the game, you don't know my life with as much sass or indignation as you may be feeling. Yes. You don't know my wife. It is not uh, that I one. Okay. So now it moves to David. It's your guess. Pick any hashtag and who you think it is. I'm going to go with the best little boy in the world. I'm sorry. Hashtag this is the best and tie it to Mr. Stephen Raines. Stephen Raines, are you this is the best? David Pevsner, you don't know my life. Oh, it is <laughs> not. See, sometimes with, a, with, with only a smaller group of five, you worry that it's just going to go boom, boom, boom. But this is good. All right, Stephen Raines, your guess. Oh, um, I'm going to say happy accident is Gary. Gary, are you happy accident? Stephen Raines, you know my life. Well done. <laughs> and I love Ann Tyler. Yes, good. well love done. So when we get an answer correct, we like to find a little more about it. So you love that book. Where were you in your life when you read it? I, well, I was actually working for Universal Pictures. I was a publicist in my first life and as a movie publicist. And uh, it was, uh, I was on a plane reading the book and it just knocked me out. And I just was like, you know, I had wanted to write, I'd written so much of my life, but I, but I ended up moving into a, you know, kind of a corporate job. 
and uh, which I enjoyed and, and I think, you know, hopefully did well at. But there was a point where I was like, you know what, I need to make a change. I need to think about writing again. And I read this book and it just sort of took me over the top. And it took about a year after I read it to, to maybe maybe even more um, to um, to finally leave that job. Um, but I love that book. I've read everything she's ever written before and and after. It's one of my favorite writers. She has a new book coming out called French Braid in a couple of weeks. I can't wait to read. Um, and uh, I, my book, my book, The Last Birthday Party, does, I do say that it's a combination of several writers, including Ann Tyler, because she's very good at honing in on these little tiny slices of little lives, which is so fascinating. So uh, I think she's great. And if you're out there, I love you. Yeah, she's a big fan of this podcast, actually. Yeah, uh, so that's going to You don't know her life, Dennis. Yeah, I can't believe she isn't texting right now. Okay, Stephen, you got that right. You get to guess again. I think Eat the Loved is Dennis Hensley. You know my life. That is true. That is something that happened to me. And I know it's a little uh, Julia Roberts-y. It's a little whatever. <laughs> but I felt like... She captured what it feels like to fall apart in a way that was so visceral and vivid to me. It really kind of did a number on me, and it felt almost spiritual, like it was speaking to me. And then I and then I started following, and of course, it was a huge phenomenon. And it's just so many people are having a similar experience. But I don't know, there was something about it, and it comforted me. It sort of it sort of uh, helped me through a through a through a time. But I remember sitting in bed reading it and just losing it. So there's that. All right, Stephen, here's the rule. You can get two in a row right, and then we move on, because we only have five folks. It's more fun that way. So, John, you get a shot. Pick any hashtag and who you think it is. Uh, Barrel of Laughs. Yes. That's David Pevsner. David Pevsner, are you Barrel of Laughs? John, you know my life. Well done. So what was it about the, the David Sedaris book, Barrel Fever? Truly, this book changed my life in kind of an odd way. Besides the fact that when I first read it, I thought I very rarely laugh, belly laugh out loud. But right. that book I thought was hilarious. But I was reading it one day walking down the street. I tell the story in the book because it's literally a moment that changed my life forever. I was walking down the street reading the book in New York City, which, you know, you have to be really clever about and have your peripheral vision so that you don't run into people. And at one point, something made me laugh out loud. I went, ha, 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 like that. And I saw two guys walking by, and they kind of turned their head to me because the laugh got their attention. A few seconds go by, and then I hear David Pevsner. And I turn around, and these two guys were working on this show called When Pigs Fly. And they had seen my audition for the previous show that those people did. He said, one of the guys said, you know, we... We're looking for this one role. We can't find this guy. Would you come in today? Today's the last day of casting. Would you come in and audition? I went in. I got When Pigs Fly, which was a life-changing off-Broadway show, not only because it was a great show and high-profile off-Broadway, really fun, but I found it so clever and funny and gay, and I felt like I think that way only dirtier, and that's when I started writing songs. Right. So... It, that literally that one moment, David Zedaris made me laugh. They saw me. They told me about the show, and that changed my life. David Barrel Fever changed my life. Well, you know what, David? David also listens to this podcast, so he possibly with Ann Tyler. So they will be weighing <laughs> I don't in. Know that he'll remember the phone call that I made to him. The hello, you don't know me, but and we talked about house cleaning. There you go. He's very clean, I think. 
Um, I first, I think I first met you when you were doing Wind Pigs Fly, and I remember around right around that time, and what a fun show that was, and yeah. it all happened because you were laughing at a book. All right, exactly. John, you're going to get this next one right. I have a feeling. Which one, Stevens? Sixteen Mad Artists. Sixteen Mad Artists. Is that you, Stephen? Yes. Wow, this is interesting. What is it about this book? So the book came out by Research Press, and it was um, women that I, as a then 16-year-old living in St. Louis, Missouri, in the suburbs, would have never encountered before. But um, the interviews I was fascinated with and would reread, and some of the artists that um, are just so groundbreaking that we know today are actually the artists featured in there. It was the first time I heard about Annie Sprinkle, um, Sapphire, the poet whose career I followed and kind of emulated um, naively. Uh, who else is in it? Linda Montano, who I was under her tutelage for seven years. Um, who else? Susie Bright is in it. Wanda Coleman, you know, the Los Angeles poet who died a handful of years ago. It's amazing who's collected in that book in the depths of the interviews. Did you was, know of any of them before you started reading it? Or did you start reading it and go, these people are all interesting? Yeah, I just thought all of them were interesting. My friend Stephanie Recht is the one who showed me. And who was fascinating was... Uh, Annie Sprinkle, right, where there are these photos of her showing the audience her cervix. Right. Um, and her public cervix announcement. And so, like, that was kind of, like, fascinating. And, right. Um, that's and, some good wordplay. You can't, that's some yeah. solid wordplay. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Definitely. And she did something called the Bosom Ballet, where she, like, played with her breasts. Yeah. To music um, that was captured on um, in photographs. Yeah. I love it. All right. So, John, you're not going to get a point for guessing your own, but tell us about the best little boy in the world. So, I read that um, I was in a relationship with a woman, and um, I read the version. So, Andy, Andrew Tobias wrote that, but the first, when it was first published, it was under a pen name. And I don't remember the pen name now. I think it was Jack something. Interesting. Um, bawled my eyes out. Um, yeah. What made you pick it, it was, up? What made you pick it up? Because I was going through therapist after therapist because something was waking up in me and I didn't understand what was going on. And I thought I was gay and yeah, it was, I was a wreck. And so I had this one therapist who was a wreck himself, but the good, the best advice this therapist gave me was to suggest this book. Wow. Loan me a copy. And it was like, it was one of the, it might've been a first edition. I don't know, but yeah, loan me that book and read it. And I was like, yeah, I just fucking bawled my eyes out. Wow. And then did you take steps after that? Did it sort of help you on your journey? I date men now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, um, there it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, once I finally said to myself, I'm gay, uh, I think about a month later, it took me about a month before then I threw the barn doors wide open and said, no, this isn't for me. Right, there it is. All right, well, I'm glad that you came across that book when you did and uh, all of the stories of the books. So we're going to get another question. Um, here is a question that I thought about that isn't really related to books, but I thought it might be fun. When you look back on the pandemic in 20 years, what's a moment that you're sure to remember? Enter your answers. Okay, everyone submitted their answers. Here is the question again. When you look back on the pandemic in 20 years, what's a moment you're sure to remember? Here's your first answer. 
finding out that after 22 months of being super careful and being triple vaxxed that I had COVID. I felt like a fraud. Wow. Um, what's a fun hashtag? What's a fun hashtag <laughs> to celebrate that? Um, hashtag almost made it. Almost made it. Thank you. All right. Next up. First Zoom memorial service in lieu of a funeral. Surreal and tragic. Wow. Dearly beloved? Yeah. All right. Hooking up and keeping our masks on. And then we have a a smiley face and an eggplant and some seed. (laughs) Uh, Emojis. Um, Let's see. You don't need a hashtag with that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, What's it called? Sexually contagious. All right. Let's do that. Sounds like a Kylie Minogue song. Oh, if only. All right. There we go. Kylie Minogue disco was a big pandemic record for me, by the way. Sidebar. Sitting on my front porch steps for coffee, listening to the birds when there was no traffic during rush hour. How about ghost town? All right. And finally, I was going on a hike with a friend and I realized I forgot a mask and I didn't want to go all the way home. So I found a mask on the ground, dusted it off and put it on. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) Secondhand mask. We've got five answers, five hashtags. Uh, John finished the last round off, so I get to guess first. Um, I'm going to try... Who got COVID right at the end? Um, I'm going to say almost made it is Gary. Is that you? Well, everybody just knows way too much about me. <laughs> That's all I can say. Yes, it was me. That is you. All right, I was a guess. You know my life. It was a guess. Um, I'm sorry that happened to you. So it must have been not that long ago. Yeah, January, the beginning of January. It, it was crazy. I mean, I hadn't been around anybody. We just right. were in for four or five days in a row, and it was just it was just a weird feeling. I just felt like, God, I did all of this. It was right. so good. It was so careful. Traveled nowhere and, and did everything. And then, yeah, but of course, that was at the time where there were lots of breakthrough, uh, yeah. breakthrough cases, so I was not alone. But, yeah, it felt, it felt weird. Like, I almost got there. Yeah, I uh, had a Delta breakthrough moment uh, yeah. myself, and it was no joke. Uh, yeah, but I know that so, feeling of like, oh, I was oh. trying. Yeah, I know. All right. So I get to guess again. I'm going to say, John, did you go to a Zoom memorial service, dearly beloved? You don't know my life. All right. And it goes to Gary, your guess. I'd say uh, hooking up and keeping our masks on sexually contagious is John. John, are you sexually contagious? I mean, I technically did do that, but you don't know my life. Right. <laughs> it's not. All right. David, your guess. Okay, um, I'm giving hashtag sexually contagious to Stephen Rains. Stephen Rains, are you sexually contagious? David, you know my life. Right on. <laughs> so you will remember that uh, that experience. Yes, yes. Do you want to so say anything great. else about that? Um, I was so envious of the people in relationships. So, um, yes. Yeah. All right, but you made it work. You made it work. We did. We found a way. You found a it way. Sounds like John also found a way with someone else. There you yeah, go. You play. Yeah. All right, uh, David. You get to guess again. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this one to you, Dennis Hensley. Hashtag secondhand mask. That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it's so gross. It's so that gross. That is hilarious. So here's and here's something else that's shameful about it. I lied in that answer because here's the thing. 
I was meeting somebody at Fryman Canyon, which John is in L.A., and you often have to park a ways away from there before you get to the base of the canyon where you meet your people. So I had already parked the car and walked, like, half the way there, which was a schlep. And I realized I didn't have my mask. So it wasn't about going home to get it. It was about going back to the car to get it. I didn't feel like it. And I looked down on the ground, and I was like, there's a mask there. It doesn't look too gross. <laughs> I'm going to wear this used mask. And this was pretty early on when, you know, I mean, now it's sort of like all bets are off, whatever. Like, But at the time, it just felt like, it just felt gross. And, of course, I, you know, when I greeted my friend, I'm like, hi. Like, nothing's weird about me. Everything's normal. This is a perfectly good mask. And, uh, yeah, but I think, I don't know if I'll remember it in 20 years, but it is one of those only in the pandemic kind of moments that you have. Two days later, later you got a bronchial infection. There you go. All right. So, David, you got two in a row, right? So we're going to go to Stephen. You can pick one of these is David's and one of them is John. I'm going to say Ghost Town is David. David, are you Ghost Town? You do not know my life. Oh, interesting. All right. It goes to John. Which one is David's? Dearly beloved. Dearly beloved. So, David, you went to a Zoom memorial service. It was like three weeks into lockdown. Um, and my brother-in-law's father. I, now I'm going to bring the whole room down. Thank hey, you. You know what? It's all good. I already had my eat, pray, love meltdown. We're, <laughs> we're getting real. It's not all fun and well, games. You know, when it first happened, I was like, oh, this really sucks. And But I'm a loner. So I was kind of like, this is okay. This is fine. But my brother-in-law's father died Um during this period, like just really early on. And I was like, how are they going to do this? How's what? And then my sister said, they're having a zoom memorial service. And I went, Oh God, that just sounds awful. And sure enough, you know, you've got the millions of boxes there and his, his widow in a black box because she didn't want to be on camera and people like, you know, they're, uh, I, I, I just, I couldn't, it, it just didn't work for me as a way to celebrate this person's life, but it's all that we could do. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, oh, my God, this is what it's going to be like. You know, I started to think about people in, people in hospitals, people who couldn't hug their loved ones. Right. It was so, rem- it was so um, uh, just representative of what the future was going to be and the loneliness and the separation that we were all going to have. Right. It really hit me hard. Was it COVID that, that he died from? It wasn't COVID. Oh yeah. All right. Wow. (sighs) Yeah. No, I'm sorry for your loss. I went to a zoom shiver. It was the same, it was the same kind of thing. You know, it's like, you have to do it once. I mean, you just, it's just, you realize like it's better than not being there, but it is kind of weird. Right. It's better than not being there. But in a way, you just kind of go, you know, you should be able to hug people. You yeah. know, well, I should be able to hug his wife, you know. And also doing anything big on Zoom was weird. Like we had big pitches to, to pitch this as a TV show. And you it's all you pick your outfit and you do it and you do your big thing. And it's so important. And then you sh- close your computer and you go to the bathroom like it's you're still in your house. Like it's it's kind of surreal. Like. You have these moments that happen in this space, but you're still in the same house. And, you know, maybe there's a sock under the bed that you know. Like, it's just surreal, right? Or you're not wearing pants. You're not wearing pants. We were doing mismatch game shows over Zoom, and it was like, all right, good night. I'm going to go masturbate. Like, (laughs) it's just weird. It's just weird. But we all managed, right? We all, and and we wouldn't be doing this right now if it hadn't been for, for what we'd all 
what we've all been through. So there are some things that came out of it that I'm grateful for. All right. We're going to do another question now. We're going to do something kind of fun and sexy. So here's the question. What celebrity that isn't thought of as conventionally hot really turns you on? Or they can be conventionally hot, but you know what I'm saying. And why? All right, so we are back, and here is the question. What celebrity that isn't thought of as conventionally hot really turns you on? Here's your first answer. Bomer brings out the teenage girl in me. Talented, funny, on talk shows, and I'm hot. Oh, Matt Bomer. All right, got it. Okay. I was thinking of like, oh, was that the guy in Shanana? And I'm like, no, that's Bowser. This is clearly Matt Bomer. Um, uh, how about Boner? Boner for Bomer? Uh, Gregory Collin, who's a French actor, when I first saw him, I paused the VHS just to stare at his face. What could our hashtag be? May we. May we. How do you spell that? M- M-A-I-S. M-A-I-S. O-U-I. I like it. Next up, I have a thing for Ray Romano. I just think he's hot and I like his voice. I saw him on an award show the other night and he still got it. Raymond Rules. Or Raymond Rules. Or Everybody yeah. Blows Raymond. i'm gonna do everybody blows raymond just because it makes me laugh chris evans because come on on bizarro world he's unconventionally hot i like it okay Uh, how about captain my captain there you go right that's cute next up eddie redmayne but put me in a room with idris elba tom hardy hugh jackman and henry cavill and i'll die a happy man um famous forgy I just like the word 4G, even though there's more of you. There's there's clearly five or six, but we're going to do it. Famous 4G. All right. We've got our answers. I think John went last, so I'm going to start the guessing this time. Um, I'm going to say May We is, is Gary. I feel like there may be a French actor in your past. Is that you? Yes, Hensley, you do not know my life. Oh, all right. Okay, Gary. I actually, don't know, I actually don't know who that is. I know a lot of French actors. I do not know who, but I'm going to check him out. We're going to have to Google him. All right. Gary, it's your yeah. guest. All right. Um, I think I'm going to say, turn around, fair play. I'm going to say Dennis was Everybody Blows Raymond. Everybody Blows Raymond. That is me. I do. I love him. Even, like, thinking about it, I start to blush. I he think he's so, so... I think he's delicious. Yeah. Like, when he was on that show Men of a Certain Age... Yeah, yeah. He was so yummy. And even just recently on the, uh, uh, what was it, the Critics' Choice Awards, I was like, yes, yes and yes. And he seems kind of nice and funny. Uh, I just, I I love it. I have an Italian thing is always good. I like it. I'm in. All right. Gary, you got that right. You can guess again. Uh, I'd say David is boner for bomer. David, are you boner for bomer? Gary Goldstein, you know my life. Wow. All right. There it is. Okay. Um, first, can I say, though, that I am mortified that there's a typo in that? <laughs> oh, that's okay. Don't mortified. be. Mortified. Don't be. Mortified. It's, yeah, exactly. Um, so, Matt um, Bomer, you, you're a fan. I can't help it. Um, I, I'm very, I'm very Bomer focused. Um, there's really nobody else out there right now that has any kind of hold on me except for Matt Bomer. And we've actually spoken a little bit on Instagram because he went to Carnegie Mellon. Nice. Right. And we we chat a little bit. He just seems like he's a delightful human being. But, you know, I mean, there's just so much there that works for me as a, you know, as an object of my dreamlike affection. I know he's married. He's got his kids and that's fine. But I can still, you know, enjoy the, the thought of 
of one day knowing him face to face. I remember when it, White Collar it, came out and there were billboards up all over. The, the show funny. hadn't premiered yet. And I remember driving around the town going, who is that guy? Like, I kind of couldn't believe it. I hadn't seen him in anything before. And I just couldn't believe how beautiful he was on those billboards. Blinding. Like, yes. I would be, if I met him face to face, I'd have to wear sunglasses yeah. because, you know, anyway, yeah. I'm a fan. Yay. All right. So, Gary, <laughs> you got that right. You get to guess again. Okay. Well, I'll say the French actor. I'll give that to Stephen. Maywav for Stephen. Stephen, is that you? You know my life. Well done. Okay. What, what are you doing watching a VHS, though? That's what I want to know. Right? So, um, what, what's he like, this guy? And how do you say his name? Uh, Gregory Quillan. Okay. And he, um, I was kind of obsessed with him in terms of, like, someone who is just so ideally my type. Right. That I remember just pausing the VHS just to kind of, like, study and watch and stare at his face. And I couldn't believe someone was so attractive. And about eight or nine years ago, I was going to Paris and my friend said, oh, there's a writer who rents out a studio that I know. He's like, if you want, um, I can connect the two of you. And I was like, I already booked a ticket. He's like, oh, too bad. You would really like him, blah, blah, blah. His name is Gregory Kalan. I was like, I can cancel my, um, I can cancel my reservation. Did you get to meet him? No. Okay. We were going to meet when he would like hand off the key. Sure. And so we emailed back and forth and I thought, oh my God, I'm weird to be with Gregory Colon. But um, I met his wife and she was lovely. There you go. <laughs> all right. So you didn't get to wreck that home after all, but <laughs> you would have if you had the chance. And that's what's important. All right. Uh, Gary, you've had, you've had a couple guesses in a row. We're going to let David go. Which one is Gary's or John's? John, I'm giving you the famous 4G. John, are you the famous 4G? You know my life. Oh. It is you, yes. Oh, so Redmayne, I get that. He's a little bit like nerd, nerdy, cute, and that head of hair. Yeah, like not normally my type, but like he's just something like sexy, cute. Yeah, he's sweet. He seems sweet. I'm having an Andrew Garfield moment. Mm-hmm. Um, he's so delicious on this uh, Oscar tour where he's just everywhere, and he's just so sweet and honest and delicious and cool and i love him graham norton i do watch it but i didn't see him on it is he on it oh he's great Uh, he's been on it a a couple he's really funny on it yeah um yeah i love it all right so interview him for a movie he he did a few years ago called breathe oh yeah Uh, for the la times and he was exactly like that he was the most sweetest kindest asked me a million questions he was great, so it's not. I don't think it's a put on. I think he's really, really the real deal. I love it. It was in person, right? Back when you could interview people in yes, person. Yes. It was been three years ago. Yeah. I love it. All right, so Gary, you have a thing for Chris Evans. Well, you know, I I never did, but I I ended up getting I don't know on Twitter. I didn't follow anything, but for some reason, I'm on somebody's feed. I always get these posts. These people post every possible picture of Chris Evans that's out there. Right. And like the guy has never, ever taken a bad picture. He could have a bag over his head. He never takes a bad picture. And it's like, you know, he's just like amazing. So yeah, <laughs> that's all. Uh, that's all right. I support it. He's good. He's our yeah. captain. All right. We are going to count down and reveal the scores in three, two, one, boom. Three, three, two, three, one. All right, so it was a three-way tie between Gary, David, and John. Stephen, you got two. I did get one. I thought I might have had a a goose egg, but I had one. 
So there's that. You guys, thank you so much for trying something different and sharing your stories. And uh, before we let you go, we're going to let everyone know that if they want to do a virtual game night, uh, I'd be happy to host it. Uh, you can you can book one, and we'll do this. Uh, just go to youdon'tknowmylife.com, and we'll set it up. And it'll be a blast. You can do your coworkers, your friends, your family. We can get as sassy and edgy as you want. We can keep it clean for work if that's your thing. Uh, we just love sharing the game and being, bringing people together. All right, guys, before we let you go, I want to remind everybody about your books. Gary, you have um, – and, and tell – anyone about your social media or anything like that so um oh, yeah yeah so my book is the last birthday party really fun read if i must say so myself um i have a website gary goldstein la.com more information about it and me uh amazon just came out on an audiobook last week actually so oh good for you who did the audio uh, a, a guy named Gary Bennett, um, nice. who the, the, the publisher just, they gave me a choice of three. He had a, a great voice. And it was very interesting. I had no idea what, a, oh, I'd never heard an audio book. I didn't know what it was going to sound like. So it's very, very cool. Um, and uh, yeah, Amazon bookstore, it's in bookstores. Book Soup still has a bunch of signed copies, I think. Um, uh, Skylight Books and Los Feliz. Uh, it's, sort of, it's, it's sort of around all the bookstores still, I hope. I love it. Uh, and and yeah, yeah, I uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Hey, it was, thanks for having all of us on. It was so much fun. I'm glad you guys had fun, and thanks for for trying something different. David Pevsner, your book, damn shame, damn shame, a memoir of desire, defiance, and show tunes it's with frontal book. nudity. There's all, you're the only person here that has frontal nudity in their book. Yeah, there is because it's part of the story. Yes, you know, it's part of uh, it's and it's really it's not gratuitous actually. No, it's part of the story. It's part of my journey. Um, and you you know you get this book anywhere you get your books Amazon independent bookstores it's here at Skylight um, in L A um, and then social media wise I probably on way too much social media for a sixty three year old man but you know I try to use it for for stuff so I have two Twitter handles okay at David Pevsner and at Real Guy L A which is my provocateur one I like that. And- and that leads to, I have an OnlyFans page, actually, because I post erotic videos and photos, and that's OnlyFans.com slash RealGuyLA. Right. And of course, because the kids, I have an Instagram, DPEVS, D-P-E-V-S. Um, and I kind of, it's, it's a mixture of kind of mainstreamy stuff and more erotic stuff. And Have you ever gotten you know, kicked off a platform? Um well, Tumblr, when they purged adult material, so I no longer am on Tumblr. I, I'm still on Tumblr, but I don't post there. Yeah, they pur- um, what the purge. That was not cool. That was a mistake on their part. I no, think. it's an interesting story, and it's all in the book. All but right, that, there that it is. Only fans, which I've been enjoying. There you so. go. Yeah, and I was reading that part of your book about how it sort of helped you a lot during the pandemic. Totally. Yeah, I love I mean, it. It's, a total, it's still a total pleasure, so I'm enjoying it. The audio book is out as well, and I, I narrated it, and I had a ball doing it, so... Just wanted to put that in there. I love it. Did it take a long time to do your audiobook? It did, but not as long as they thought because I, I have done audiobooks. Right. So I kind of know how to do it. But this was reading your own words is just such a pleasure and so much fun. And I had a great director and, and engineer. And we kind of, you know, zipped through it pretty quickly. But um, it was it was so much. It was just a, a great experience. Did you get emotional at any point reading your own words when it kind of snuck up on you? Absolutely. And there were times when it was 
right to do it in times when the director was like, no. <laughs> All right. Get it together, <laughs> Mary. <laughs> they could see you, it might be one thing. Yeah, totally. They could see it might be one thing, but it's not reading very well in my earphones. So, uh, yeah. Right. It's just you have the right, the just amount of the right, um, you know, sort of emotional uh, component right. to it. I love it. Stephen, A Quilt for David is your book. And uh, what other um, social media things do you want to talk about? Well, I'm at Stephen Rains at just about every um, social media platform, and it's Stephen with a V. Rains is spelled R-E-I-G-N-S. Um, I'm going to be at the L.A. Times Festival of Books reading at the end of April. I'm going to be in New Orleans in just a couple weeks. I know David is also going to be there um, teaching a workshop. I'm also doing a lot of workshops coming up for National Poetry Month, which is April. So um, You're going to be at the Festival of Books? I love it. Do you have an outfit planned? What's your outfit? I don't have an outfit planned. Um, Get do you know who I used to consult for outfits was Brett Friedman. Yes. I yeah. I even borrowed one of his outfits when I was on a video. I was like, Brett, I need an outfit. Um, right. I'm so thankful we're the same size. There it is. All right. Uh, John W. Bateman, Who Killed Buster Sparkle, is your book. And uh, what other um, social media, anything like that you want to plug? Yes, yeah, so I have a website, John W. Bateman, and that's my handle on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And, uh, yeah, you can buy it at any, any independent bookstore can order it. It's distributed through Ingram, so... Right on. And I noticed on your website some of your short film stuff is on there so that people can watch. Um, so there you go. You guys, thank you so much for, for playing You Don't Know My Life. Buy all of their books, support their stuff, follow them on social media. And, uh, you guys, thanks again. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. It was great. All right, thanks again to David Pevsner, Gary Goldstein, John W. Bateman, and Stephen Rains for trying something new and different. We had a lot of fun. I hope you guys did too. All right, so this happened. Uh, I saw two live theatrical productions in the last week, and they were both terrific. And they were like both kind of like pre-pandemic times. It just had this feeling to it. So the first was uh, a play called Power of Sale at the Geffen Theater in Los Angeles. It stars Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad, as well as Amy Brenneman from Judging Amy, and um, a handful of other actors who I hadn't seen, I don't believe, before, but everyone was terrific. And I love this show so much. It was very topical. It had to do with a college professor who invites uh, a white supremacist to speak on campus, and it's sort of like a has to do with free speech and, you know, should should people be given these forums? But then it turns into this really twisty thriller. So it manages to be both, like, topical and provocative and of the moment, but also like, oh, my gosh, that happened and that happened and that happened. So if you're in L.A., I highly recommend it. And I hope it goes to Broadway because I think it's that good. And the set and everything, top notch. And then last night I saw the Lehman Trilogy at the Amundsen Theater downtown. It's like three and a half hours long. And it's about the Lehman Brothers, who, you know, the company that that crashed uh, the economy was part of the, the big 2008 uh, financial disaster. But, you know, the three men that founded it, the brothers, uh, you know, in the beginning they were immigrants and how they started in cotton and then got into banking. And it's just the, the journey of, of the family. And it's all done by three actors who play multiple different parts. Spectacular acting. And the set is amazing. It's this rotating office. It just felt like money, you know? And Sam Mendes, uh, Sam Mendes, Mendes? How do you say it? 
Sam Mendes directed it, and it just was a class act all the way. And uh, so, two fun theatrical outings. It felt like kind of like old times. And I also went out to a fancy dinner for a friend's birthday. We went to like a place called Beauty in Essex where you order like a bunch of different things and share everything and everything's delicious and people were in the same room together and it was just the kind of night that I just haven't had in so long and so I don't know things are sort of inching back to pre-pandemic times dare I say it dare I even think it I don't know all right that's enough for this week we're gonna leave it there thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone bye bye